0: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, uh, yeah, Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you that we can be here, uh, that we can worship you together with one voice, that we can uh, sit uh, before your word, God, and just receive what you have to speak to us as our king and as our Lord. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon this room and uh, that you would create an eagerness and an appetite just to live into the call that you have given us as your people. And uh, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be at work in me as I teach tonight. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in the person in the room who doesn't know Jesus, God, that you would draw their heart towards you. And Lord, for the, that your follower, the follower of Jesus who is just struggling right now, God, I pray that there would be hope tonight in your name. Uh, we love you, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 1, 1. Um, if if you're if you were uh, if you were new to the faith, and uh, you wanted to know like what in the world is the Bible even about, like I know there's like there might be Christians in the room where you're like, I don't actually even know like there's like what like almost two thousand pages in here, like seventy five percent of like this Old Testament thing I don't even know why it's there. So I just, like, I just jumped to the New Testament. And then even then, there's, like, books that confuse me. So, like, I'll just, like, jump in with Jesus. Which I would say, if you're new to the the faith, jumping in with Jesus is the best thing that you can do. Because when we answer the question, what is God's mission, we start with Jesus, and then we zoom out to see, like, where he's even at in the middle of this whole book. So if you were just to, like, read the first book of, or the first verse of the book of Mark, uh, you, you would read this. So it's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, right? So, like, if you were going to, like, go to one spot in the Bible to say, like, what is the good news of Jesus about? This is a pretty good spot to start. Don't you agree? Yes. Verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. What? It's weird, isn't it? Like, if you were, like, new to the, if you were new to the faith and you just, like, read that, you'd be like, what in the world is this even about? Like, I thought we're supposed to be talking about heaven and hell and the forgiveness of sins right now, but what you see right off the bat in the book of Mark is that the story According to the Bible, the good news about Jesus, the Son of God, links you up to a story that's already midstream. Does that make sense? Like, this, according to the Bible and according to the good news of Mark, that he's talking about this good news about Jesus, the story of Jesus, it links you up with a story that's already midstream. And so we got to zoom out for, uh, for a second and go like, well, what is the story of the Bible? Because to understand the mission of the church and what God's doing in the world, you have to start with like, what is the story of the Bible, and how does Jesus even fit into it? So for those of you who are, who are new to Christianity, or even if you're a Christian, and you don't really have categories for like, what are the like, actual movements of the Bible, according to uh, the scriptures, there's, there's four major movements of the biblical story. So like, from Genesis 1, page 1, to the last page of this book, there's four major movements. And the four major movements are, are one, and it starts with creation. So Harley, I have a slide. The creation, rebellion, redemption, and re- restoration. So creation, Genesis 1 and 2, starts with this beautiful picture where it's, it, it, in the reality, it's a picture of the world as it should be as God's kingdom. So like man is in perfect relationship with God. God is ruling over mankind as the king, over his kingdom being the world. Man's relationship with neighbor is submitted to the reign of God. They're loving their neighbor as themselves. Man is naked and unashamed, meaning they're perfectly secure in who they are. And man's vocation in the world to develop God's creation, to make something beautiful of what God started. Like, that's just the very beginning of, like, the scriptural story. And then very quickly, in, in the second movement of the biblical story, is what is this word called rebellion, where humanity rebels against God as its king. Adam and Eve, when they, when they pick that fruit and when they eat of it, it was a decision to be autonomous from God. It means I get to define what's right and wrong for my life. Like, I want to live on my own, like, apart from God ruling over me, even though his rule is loving, it's kind, it's good, it's designed to make me flourish. Like, we want to do our own thing. And what happens is, the world just explodes with corruption. Right? The same corruption we experience in our world today, like, like, people, instead of loving their neighbors themselves, people use other people for, to benefit themselves. Like, pe- instead of feeling naked and unashamed, people feel insecure. Like, man's even a relationship, like, to the actual creation. Like, we, like, ruin it. Like, we distort it rather than stewarding it. Like, we just, we totally trash God's world. And what you see right now, 2020, am I right, is a world defined by chaos, what the Bible teaches is, is that's a result of mankind's rebellion against God. When humanity rebels against the good reign of God, chaos is what's happens. And you even know that in your life. Am I right? When you live outside God's ways, it feels chaotic. And then God, in his loving grace, mercy, and kindness, sets on a long journey in this movement called Redemption where he makes a promise to a man named Abraham and promises that through this one man will come a king who will one day restore God's rule and reign over the world once again. And then, then we come to the, the life of Jesus Christ, and we see him talking right here in the book of Isaiah, and you realize that we're right in the middle of a story where God is promising to renew and to restore his rule over the created world, And then what you see at the end of the biblical story, I think this is so cool. If you're new to the the faith, or even if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to do this. When you read the, the first two pages of the Bible, you get this picture of God with mankind as their king. And when you end the Bible, in the last two chapters, you see God in the person of Jesus reigning over his creation in a restored world where all of human life is restored to God again. The actual creation itself is renewed. Romans 8 talks about creation longs for this day. When God will come again and will set everything right. So, this is this big picture. And then, in the middle of, of this story, Jesus comes on the scene. Now, jump down with me, if you have your Bibles, to Mark 1, chapter 14 through 15. So it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. It's all right, all right here we go. Like the good news from the mouth of Jesus. And here it is, verse 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what's the good news according to to Jesus? Like, out of his own mouth, what's the good news? He says that something has come here. So often, have you heard it in your own words? Like, the, the good news is about us going to this place called heaven, right, when we die? According to Jesus, the good news is that God is doing something here, that he's bringing something to this world, and it's the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is actually announcing when he's saying this, he's saying right at the start of his ministry, good news, the kingdom of God has come, repent and, and believe that this news. And repenting just means like turn around, the whole way that you're going, like turn around completely and go the other direction, follow me, there's something completely new happening. And what he's talking about when he says the kingdom of God has come near, he's saying that in me, you guys got to get this, Jesus is saying that in his own self, God's reign and rule is coming back to earth again. Okay? So this huge story of like God's reign in the beginning of creation, this renewed creation at the end of the Bible, Jesus is announcing that this reign, that this kingdom is coming to the world and it's actually going to play out in his whole life. So when you watch Jesus' life, you see him do miracles. You say, when God reigns, sickness is gone. When God reigns, the blind see. When Jesus is teaching, all of his teachings are, are supposed to show, like, this is what human life was always intended to be from the beginning. When he, when he dies on the cross, he absorbs all the evil into him very self. He goes into the grave. He takes on the worst that the enemy could bring him, death, destruction, decay, and he raises to new life. And when when Jesus raises to new life, he's giving us a picture of what's ultimately going to happen for the whole world. That this death, that this decay that we all live in, there's a new day that has dawned in the person of Jesus Christ. And what's incredible about this, that this big picture is that when the Apostle Paul reflects on this in Colossians 1, he says that we actually have come to share in this because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at me with Colossians 1, 12-13 on the screen. The Apostle Paul says, God has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, one of the things that the Apostle Paul understood is that when, you were, when Jesus saves you, so often it's communicated as just like, um, you're just, like, it's just forgiven. It's like a status that you sit in. But what the Apostle Paul understands, it's, it's actually like being transferred out of a kingdom where you're ruled by darkness into the kingdom of Jesus where you're ruled by Jesus. And so what the people of God are, an uncommon community, it's like a people who have been set on, like, a new set of train tracks. So you've been transferred from, like, these tracks that were, like, leading to, like, death and destruction and decay and chaos, and you put on this new set of train tracks that's governed by Jesus, and now you're on this path of, like, where you live out, like, actually what it means to be a human being, right? So this, this big story of the Bible, and I, and I know, like, this is, like, big, and it's comprehensive, but this is the idea of, like, God's on a mission to restore his creation and all, all of human life under his reign, and the Apostle Paul says, because of God's grace, he has purchased your freedom, and he has forgiven your sins that, so you can participate in it. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's an absolutely beautiful thing. So <clears throat> if that's true, what's our mission? What's our mission? And this is where we're going to sit tonight. This is the main thing that we're going to talk about. The mission, an uncommon community, the mission of an uncommon community, its purpose is to win the world by declaring to the world the kingdom of God with our mouths and by displaying it with our lives. I'll say that again. The mission of the church the mission of 710 is to declare the kingdom of God with our words and to display the kingdom of God with our lives. So let's first look at our mission to declare the kingdom of God with our words. If, look, at, look with me to Acts 17 verses 1 through 7. So the context for this passage is, uh, so the Apostle Paul, he uh, is on his missionary journey and he's announcing the good news that Jesus reigns. And he comes into Thessalonica, so the the letters of first and second Thessalonians, like he, this, is, this is like the backstory to him actually planning these churches. And so he, he goes into the Thessalonica, and, and let's read verses one through seven. I want you to, I, this is why I want us to read this passage. If you go back to the very, very beginning, like what were the, actually the early Christians announcing? And this passage gives us a window into that reality. Verse one, it says, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia, those places, and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue as was Paul's custom he went to the synagogue service and for 3 sabbaths in a row he used the scriptures to reason with the people so Paul goes into like sunday church and he's trying to convince the people that Jesus is who he was and he's spreading this message to many people who've never heard it before Then verse 3, he explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. So in the Old Testament, uh, there was this promise that a king would come. And Isaiah talks about he had to suffer and die before he was enthroned over king of all creation. So he must suffer uh, and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. He is that king. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some of the troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. Can you imagine He start telling people about Jesus and then they, like, this mob starts and like a riot starts? Not a good day for Paul. They attacked the home of Jason, who's just one of the other believers, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag him out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. And this was the accusation. I want you guys to pay attention. They say, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. So they're like, all over the world, these people are causing issues by their message. And this is the message. And they shouted, and now they are disturbing our city too. Verse 7, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. And this is what they say. They are guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. So you go back to the very beginning, when the very first converts of Christianity are starting to announce what the good news is, and how it's interpreted by that culture is that they're announcing that this crucified and this buried Jesus who is risen is now Lord of the world and that their allegiance and loyalty was to Jesus and his kingdom over and above anything else. Like their message, it was so radical. Their message was so radical that it was actually interpreted as treason. Like, think about that for a second. If you weren't a part of this community, what they saw looking in is, like, they are so devoted to this kingdom of God above everything else that, like, the only word I have for it is treason. Like, this Jesus, like, they're so confident that he's actually the one in charge of the world that like the only word I have for it is treason. And so when they announced this, and when the world looked in, and they see what these new converts, these new followers of Jesus, these new people who have been made new by, by Jesus Christ, the world just couldn't handle it. The world just couldn't handle the message. And I just wanna make a note. These early Christians were so devoted to Jesus above the Roman emperor. And when, I, when we look at this like last election, Right, one of the things that I thought was really like sad in my own heart and sad about the church, is that our passion, our allegiance, our loyalty, our devotion, to the kingdom seemed a lot less than to the kingdom of this country. Like what razzled Christians and what got them fired up and what like motivated and moved them, was the election and not the kingdom of God. But to these early Christians, what they announced is like their confidence was so deep rooted, that Jesus was Lord, that that their their allegiance and loyalty was only seen to him. So what do we declare to the world today? This is a beautiful message. What we declare to the world today is that we are to announce, like we have this privilege, we have to announce to all who are broken, all who are hurt, all who are oppressed, all who are abused. You guys know anybody like that? Maybe that's you. We're supposed to announce to these people and to every human being that King Jesus has come to end all injustice. And he will return to bring a kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace, meaning the world is gonna be exactly how it should have been. And that all who repent, which means all who turn around and give their allegiance to Jesus, all who believe in this Jesus may enter the kingdom of God and, be, and we can become a part of this new kingdom new humanity, this new community, who are waiting now for that kingdom to come. This is the message we have for the world. But one of the things that I've thought about is, like, this is such a, like, a grand message. Like, how do I even begin to have this conversation with people? Have you guys felt that before? Like, man, like, God's doing something crazy in my heart. Like, I believe this, like, grand picture, like, this language of, like, kingdom, like, like the my coworker was like at work like they they don't know anything about this. Like how am i even supposed to get begin having that conversation with people? So i have 3 3 suggestions for you to start talking about Jesus with people. 1. Start with relationship. Relationship is the best environment to start talking about Jesus with people. Cuz you know what happens when you don't have relationship with people? People start to feel like projects. You know what i'm saying? Like you're the person like i'm going to try to convert you. And if it doesn't work, like, I'll just go to the next person. But there's something about relationship that that builds so much credit. I have a neighbor, his name's Shane. One of the, like, my, like, first things I wanted to do is, like, get to know my neighbors when my wife and I moved into our house. Like, I remember, like, one of, like, the first uh, times we ever hung out, we're just, like, sitting in our garage because it's COVID and we couldn't do anything else. And uh, I remember sitting there, I was just like, dude, like, I'm just telling you, like, right off the bat. Like, my wife and I, like, we are, like, sold out for Jesus. Like, I believe, like, massive things about, I, be, I believe he's Lord over everything. Like, I believe he's going to, like, restore this world, and only those who belong to him will become a part of it. But I was like, but, I was like, I'm not here to turn you into a project. I was like, I just, I want, I, I hope you come to know Jesus, but, like, I want to know you as my neighbor. And because we started with relationship, we've had so many conversations about Jesus, because we just, like, he knows I love him. He knows I'll do anything for him. And we have this bond, and relationship is the best environment to talk about Jesus. The second thing that you have to do to start talking about Jesus is you have to pay attention to their lives. Like, you actually have to become a student, like, of their lives. One, you have to, like, you have to ask questions like, what are, they, what are they putting, or what are they living their life for that isn't satisfying them? Like, what are they living their life for that just, like, isn't, like, like, it's just not satisfying. And you guys know that in your own experience. Like, when you live your life outside of God's will and you live your life for other things, just like, it just doesn't, like, there's just, there's a void in me. So you have to, like, what are they putting into their lives, or putting their hope in that is unstable? That thing that can be taken from them at any moment that gives them so much anxiety. Like, if that thing leaves, like, my life's falling apart. And then we have to ask the question, like, how do they even view the world? Like, how do they even view this world? because one of the things that i've realized is that everybody every because we're created in the image of god and we're created for this world to know him everybody desires the kingdom of god but they just don't know how to find it like everybody like desires like this this kingdom like where like people love each other where righteousness is like every like right relationship is like everything that's experienced like justice like everybody wants justice Justice isn't a negative word. It's a word in the Bible that talks about like when God sets things how they should be. There's a uh, I'm in a seminary uh, like program, uh, the same one that Shannon goes to. Shannon may even know this story. I don't even know who the story is about, but I, uh, <laughs> it's definitely not about you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, I thought it was so cool. There was this uh, hairdresser, and uh, he was giving a haircut to uh, a guy who was gay, not a Christian. And the hairdresser just asked, um, like, what do you desire in the world? Like, what do you want? And he goes, well, I just want a world where people love each other. I want a world where there's no injustice. I want a world where people are kind, where there's no division, where people just like, it's just like, man, like, we just really are all on the same page. And he goes, did you know that's exactly what the story of the Bible is about? He's He's like, no, it's not. Like, the story, about, the story of the Bible is about God sending people to hell. He's like, the story of the Bible is that God created this world to be the world that you just described. And God created this world, like, all the things that you sense are wrong with it, God always says, those, yeah, there's, like, that's just not supposed to be there. But the thing is, the only person that we believe is actually gonna be able to get us there is Jesus. And if you turn around and give your life to him, like, you can actually be a part of that world too. And because he met that person with what they were desiring and what they were seeking about the kingdom of God, apparently uh, they showed up to church next Sunday. And I don't know the next story, but it just goes to show like everybody's desiring something about the kingdom of God that as Christians we have the privilege of pointing them to. It's a beautiful thing. Tim Keller says, he says Jesus is the only Lord who if you receive him will fulfill you completely and if you fail him, we'll forgive you eternally. It's beautiful, isn't it? Like you can fail him, and he'll forgive you eternally. If you receive him, he will fulfill you. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you shared the good news of Christ with somebody? Like, when was the last time you shared the good news of Christ with somebody? And is the Christian community that you're a part of, like your RC or your friend group, like however you describe it, would you say you're a part of a community that's committed to declaring the good news of Jesus and his kingdom to the world? Because here's the thing, whatever you love, you will naturally talk about. Is that not true? Connor is a huge, I almost said Seahawks fan. He's definitely not a Seahawks fan. He's a huge Cardinals fan. There you go, clap for Connor, good job. (laughs) I, I, I'm not a Cardinals fan, and this is a silly il- illustration. Connor knows I don't like the Cardinals, like, at all, and he cannot stop talking about the win on Sunday, even though he knows I do not care. He's, like, he's showing me the replay. He's talking, like, he, like, before 7-10, he's, like, trying to talk to me about it. I'm like, dude, you just had two days of telling me about it. Like, can you just stop telling me about it? But what's happening is Connor is so excited about his Cardinals win that the only thing he can do is tell me about it. Here's the thing. When you're caught up in Jesus, like when you're that caught up in Jesus, what is natural to do is you just to talk about him. Which begs the question, like if Jesus doesn't move the needle in your heart, like I, like, I don't know if it's like reconsidering or just like having a, like a cup of coffee and just like sitting down with God and just like, like God's gotta do something in your heart. Like that's the whole joy of like talking about him. Just like, it's just natural. Like whatever you love, you talk about it's it's just natural. So we have the privilege of declaring this kingdom, this good news of Jesus to the world. The second thing that we have the privilege of doing is that we get to display the kingdom of God with our lives. And so Shannon, in uh, the first week, he talked about First Peter chapter two, and this is like the passage that like just follows it. So in First Peter chapter two, verses eleven through twelve, notice what Peter says here. So he's writing to Christians who are experiencing a ton of cultural pressure for following Jesus. And this is what he says, he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. So he's saying you're foreigners and exiles because you're citizens of the kingdom of God. And this is the command, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify uh, God on the day that he visits us. Here's what I want you to notice about this verse. Mission according to Peter in this passage is not about what we say but about how we live. And here's why. Because if we, if we say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and that following him is this beautiful life together and we don't live like it, it actually discredits our message. And what he's saying in this passage, he's saying, listen, I want you to live such good lives I want you to show the world, like, how good it is, like, what the world could be like if they follow Jesus, like, that's your responsibility, to show the world, like, what a community like that actually looks like. He's like, and then when the day God visits us, when he brings about this new world and this new creation, and he, gives, he judges every single person, he goes, on that day, I want people to be a part of this new community because they saw your lives and said, I wanted to be a part of it. See, the world needs to look in on the church and see a completely different value system than one that's in the world. Like, the world, like, I I, I feel like so often, and tell me if this is true, Christianity just, like, kinda seems like this patch. Like, I just put it on me, it's just like a part of, like, another thing I do. You know? But, like, what the scriptures show us, it's like a whole new way of life. Like literally a whole new way of life. Like you were recreated from the inside and like as a whole community, like I just want like a a whole new society in the middle of the world. So this means like in the church, in our relationships with one another, like we need to actually show the world what like loving one another deeply like actually means. It means that we need to forgive one another. It means that we need to like just get rid of gossip in our communities. It means that we need to like be communities that like care for the marginalized and people in the world that people so often overlook. In our politics, like, we need to stop, like, dividing over sides. And we need to, like, actually, like, come together because we ultimately belong to the kingdom, not to the Republican or Democrat party. At our jobs, guys, Christians should be the hardest workers at their jobs with the best reputation and the most willing to do anything with the most joyful heart. On our social media accounts, like, we need to, like, stop promoting ourselves and be addicted to our phones. Like, how we relate to money, sex, and power, like, money we need to like use money not just to serve ourselves but to give we need to like show the world what sex was supposed to look like in the confines of marriage we need to use power and influences for the for serving and not for selfish gain we need to like cross cultural guidelines right like we need to like these racial boundaries that's like happening in our country like the church should be the one place where like the world sees like people of all like, race and ethnicities are welcome and we love each other because we're united by Jesus Christ. The world needs to see what a society under Jesus like, actually looks like. See, one of the reasons the early church at the very beginning, it flourished like crazy, is that people, like, even despite persecution, because people saw that like, this, this following Jesus thing, like, it really was a whole new way of life. And it was a whole new way of a life, a way in which nobody had ever imagined could like actually really happen. And that's what we need to strive for in our community. So let me ask you a couple questions. So when you're unbelieving friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, like the, the people who don't know Jesus, when they watch your life, what do they see displayed? I'm talking very specifically to the follower of Jesus in here. <clears throat> Do they see what life under Jesus' reign could look like and the joy of it? Or do they just see like somebody who says they're a Christian, but there's honestly really nothing different about it? And I'll take it one step further. When the world watches the Christian community that you're a part of, what do they see displayed? Like, do they see like when Jesus gets a hold of a people, like how beautiful it could look? Or do they just see gossip? Or do they just see division? or do they just see arguments, or do they just see like consumerism, like I just like use this community for my, or do they really see like a people like, man, this is just new. Like this is just new. See, our mission, it's not just about contact between unbelievers and individual Christians, but it's between unbelievers and the Christian community. Like I so bad, like that's why I love the retreat And I want as many people who don't know Jesus to go to our retreat. Because it's just like such a, you guys know us who went to the retreat. It's just such a beautiful picture of like, this is just like, it's just great. (laughs) You you know? Like, it's just great. Like, I love these people. Like, we just love Jesus. We like, we're praying for each other. And like, I I desperately want like the 710 community, your RCs. Like, I want it to be that type of people. Because it shows the world what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. So let me do this. I have two ways that the church can be unfaithful in our mission and then I have like, some practical ways that you can start living missionally in your own life. So there's two dangers to be aware of uh, that, and I'm actually gonna use the whiteboard. Shannon pulled it out. I was like, I'm gonna do that too. So, so here we go. There's two ways that I feel like, I, like the church can be unfaithful in their mission. And Shannon was giving me a hard time about, a, that's supposed to be a crown. Did you guys know that? He says it looks like a roller coaster. <laughs> I know. Okay, so like this road represents like, this, like this, this path of following Jesus where like as a community, like we're walking, we're following the ways of the Lord. And there's like two ways like in this like walking and obedience that we can actually find ourselves to be unfaithful. And one way that you can swerve off the road, and you guys will know this, the first one's the most obvious one. And I call it being diluted with the world diluted. If I spell it wrong, just give me grace. That's why I'm not a teacher. My wife is. <clears throat> but you become diluted to the world, with the world, meaning when the world sees you, like, you actually, like, there's, there's, you're not really a light. You're just kind of, like, one in the same thing. Like, do you guys know, like, what it's talking about? Like, so if you're not a believer in the room, and you have, uh, like, these people at like, your work who call themselves Christians, and you're, like, they, they literally just do the same thing that I do. And actually they like they've hurt me worse than people who don't follow Jesus. Like I you don't hear that all the time. We're just like these Christians like like it just feels like massive hypocrisy because like we've just become so diluted with the world. Like that's the most obvious way. And a lot of ourselves like we we can find ourselves in that and that's pretty obvious. But this is the second way that the world like can see us and it can actually like you start to recognize like oh man this is like really unfaithful when I read the Bible is that we become disengaged with the world. And uh, being disengaged with the world, if, you've raised, if you're raised in a family, you, you, you know this is like some signs that you've been in a community like this, where the world is seen as like those people. You know what I'm talking about? Well, it's like, oh, those people. In, in, like in, a, in a demeaning way where it's just, like, they're out there, like, we need to hide from them, like, we need to do our own Christian thing, and this is, I'll show you, like, this happens, like, very accidentally in the like, Christian community. This is what happens. You go to, like, 710, you go to your small group, you hang out with your Christian friends on Friday night, you, you hang, like, you have, like, this Christian overload of things to do, and you go throughout months and years, and you realize, like, I actually don't even know any unbelievers in my life. You know what I'm saying? Just like I'm like completely disengaged in the world. The world looks in at, at like this type of community and goes like they're actually like kind of completely irrelevant to the world because I, I didn't even know they existed. And so what Jesus shows us is like he wasn't diluted with the world but he wasn't disengaged either and I, I love this language. He was a faithful presence. Like think about Jesus' life when you just read it. Like he was involved in all the places he shouldn't have been. Like he went like right to the center of the world except he was faithful through and through. Like he was, he was so engaged with the world that people accused him of being sinners, being a sinner, hanging out with prostitutes, being a drunkard, because he was so engaged with the world. So I would just ask you, like, how, like, would you say as, as a follower of Jesus, like, are you engaged with the world? And maybe you come to a point where you're like, you just become diluted with it, like you're not actually like different, or would you say, and you have to know yourself, like I'm actually like completely disengaged, like. I actually don't know any Christians in my life because what Peter is saying, like he assumes that the world is watching you and has eyes to see you. and can actually see the beauty of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So our, our mission as God's people is to declare the kingdom of God with our words, to display it with our lives, and I'm gonna end it right here. I wanna give you, you personally in your own life, I wanna give you eight ways you can practically start living missionally uh, in your life. Here it is. I'm gonna shoot them at you. One, Eat with non-Christians. You, have th- you eat three times a day, let's be honest, most of us, four or five, with some snacks in there, late night desserts if you're Shannon, right? Like, like we eat so much. I was like, just sh- share a meal with an unbeliever. Like, if, like have your dorm mate like, over, like, have neighbors over. Like, like, have people into your home who aren't Christians and eat with them. That's, like, the primary way Jesus actually spent time with people who, uh, who weren't part of the kingdom. A uh, two, walk, don't drive. I cannot tell you how often I've had conversations to love or conversations to talk about Jesus or opportunities to love like Jesus just because I was walking around my neighborhood and praying and God would just like bring things to me all the time. Like Crystal asked me, she was like, you're so creepy. But like, and like <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be in our, our neighborhood and I would literally, i go on a walk and like any single chance I had an opportunity to meet a neighbor, I was just like, I just like, I wanted to beeline it and like, Like, I just want to let them know that, like, I'm here. My name's Corey. I'm your neighbor right across the street. Hey, do you need help unloading your truck? I know you just moved in. But honestly, like, the best way I've gotten to know unbelievers and engage with them is just, like, just walking and being present where God has put me. Three, be a regular. Pick, have have weekly rhythms of uh, going to the same places at the same times. So maybe go to a coffee shop. At the same times you're going to see the same staff and get to know the staff there and start building relationships with them four hobby with non-Christians. It is so classic Christians to create our own like pocket of like this Christian league of things and we like invite the world to come to us. I was just like Jesus like, he kind of seemed like he did the opposite. like he went to the world so like f- like if you like sports, like go join a league and play on a sports team with guys who, who are gals who don't, uh, don't know Jesus like. Go meet unbelievers in their world, don't just make them come to yours. Five, uh, talk to your coworkers. When, you, when you're at work, like, actually get to know your coworkers. Like On your lunch break, maybe like, just don't go off by yourself. Like, actually try to get, like, maybe have lunch with a coworker. Talk to your coworkers and like, really know them. Uh, six, participate in city events. Like Be present in your city. Like, when there's stuff going on, like, be involved and get to know the people, serve, be present. Number seven, serve your neighbors. Like, if you know there's a need in your neighborhood, like, the Christian should be the first one to meet the need. Like, and that requires that you actually know your neighbors. And lastly, number eight, um, this is super simple. Talk about Jesus. And here's what I'll say. If you're not comfortable talking about Jesus with other Christians, you're not going to be comfortable talking about Jesus with people who don't know Jesus. So, like, in the Christian community, it should be natural and normal to talk about Jesus at any time. And when you're with your, your friends, you don't have to be weird and be like, did you know Jesus died for your sins? <laughs> like, don't, don't do that. But, like, ask people, like, hey, like, are you religious? Yes, no, maybe? Like, what do you think about Jesus? Like, just ask. People love to talk about, like, what they think. So just ask them what they think about Jesus. And if they don't know a question, then you don't need to answer it right then. That's why we have relationships, and you just keep going and just, like, just talk about Jesus. Like, that sh- it shouldn't be, like, you ever seen this where it's, like, six months into your job and, like, oh, you're a Christian? It's, like, no. <laughs> like, on the forefront, like, you don't have to, like, start with, hey, I'm Corey, I'm a Christian. But just be, like, hey, you know, like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. It should just be a normal part of us as followers of Jesus. And then I would say, like, and pray like crazy, and God will bring so many opportunities for you to announce his rule and reign and his forgiveness and his grace in your life, and he'll give you so many opportunities to actually display it to a point where he'll probably put you to a test in multiple situations. And here's, and here's where I'll end. People so often, they can, they can dismiss and argue against your intellectual arguments, but it is so hard to, to deny the power of the Christian community when they really love each other. Like when the world sees like what can actually happen in community, like, there's something that, like, they can't deny your words, they can't deny what the reality of what Christ has done in us, and we really want to be that people, right? So let's pray, and uh, let's ask God to make us into that community. Lord, uh, I thank you for today, and I I thank you, Lord, that you just love us so much. I thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus, uh, and that in him we've been transferred into his kingdom, that we've been Forgiven, that we've been purchased, that we've been set on a new path, Lord. To declare the world, declare to the world your beauty, to declare to the world your your reign and your forgiveness. Um, and God, I thank you that you've uh, you've given us the opportunity and the privilege of displaying who you are as well. God, I pray that you would make us into that community, that you would make us into that faithful people, uh, and I pray that many would come to know you through this ministry, Lord. We ask that you would do it in your name. We love you, Jesus.